Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello and welcome to the Osher Ginsberg Podcast. I'm Osher Ginsberg. This is episode 82 of this show featuring the wonderfully talented, lovely, driven, smart, fabulous, powerful, beautiful, funny Maz Compton. You can find her on Twitter at M-A-Z-C-O-M-P-T-O-N. Uh, thank you so much for being here. Please subscribe to the show if you want it to magically appear in your phone each and every week. Uh, just search for it in your podcast app of choice. I prefer Pocket Casts because they're Australian and it's just a really good app. I find it to be the best app, especially when it comes to sharing. Um, you can also subscri- subscribe to the email list, which is where you can write me and I will write back. It's that simple. If you want to know anything, just I'm pretty accessible. You can find me. Um, the biggest thing I would ask you this week is please tell a friend about this show. If you're new to this show, if you've just discovered this show or you know someone who might benefit from this show, please just let them know. Let them know about the show. I hope your week was okay. Um, I'm a bit tired. It's uh, Saturday. We got up this morning for dawn service at um, at North Bondi. It was really beautiful. There must have been 8,000, 10,000 people there. It was huge. And on the way home uh, from the dawn service, it's Anzac Day. I'll let you do your research into that if you're from another country. It's the, the, the day that basically we we honor the, the men and women who fight in um, our defence forces, but particularly it's on the day that the Australian uh, Defence Force and the New Zealand, uh, the Australian New Zealand Armoured Corps, ANZAC, stormed the beaches at Gallipoli in the Dardanelles in Turkey and um, were massacred, absolutely massacred. Um, And on the the drive home, there was a house in Tamarama, which is a beach on the way, on the way home back to our place. And there was a house that was hanging three flags. It was hanging the New Zealand flag, the Australian flag, and the Turkish flag. 
Now, what other country in the world on a day that celebrates its fighting forces, on a day that commemorates an absolute massacre of thousands and thousands of young kids, like there were 16, 17, 18 little boys going to war, what other country in the world would proudly fly the three flags of all the armies involved on the day? This country is amazing. Australia really is an incredible, incredible place to be, an incredible place to be. And it certainly helped me draw some perspective for the week I've had. I've had a, a very interesting week. Um, I won't mention any names because I don't want anyone to get any click traffic, but some things were printed in newspapers about me that made me feel flat out bullied, flat out bullied. It's as simple as that. If it had happened in any workplace, we'd all be off to HR. If someone had written the things that were written about me this week, that's all I'm saying about it. It, it, was, it was really, really tough. Very, very tough on, on uh, me, on um, my girlfriend's family, on, on my family, and my friends who were uh, outraged. <laughs> Um, all I can say is that if, if you want to know something about me, just ask me. I'm pretty accessible. You can find me everywhere. And here's the thing. If I'd rather not tell you something, I will politely say so. Because it's my right to keep some things private. I'm perfectly aware that I have a job in the public eye and some things you may want to know about. And I will tell you those things when I'm ready. But yeah. I guess the other thing that happened is that I was somewhat outed this week. Um, there was an article saying Osher opens up about his mental health. And the article, it was rather kind and quite supportive, yet it was mostly a direct transcript of the introduction to my podcast last week where I talked, as I do every week, about what's been going on in my head. Now, you know, if you listen to the show, that I've been talking about this for a long, long time. But I understand that journalists have a job to do and they need to sensationalize a headline to get you to click on it. You know, when they write, you won't believe this one simple trick. So, of course, they lead the big headline is Osher opens up about mental health. But as you know, if you've been listening to the show, the reality is I opened up about my health a very long time ago. I started this podcast in September 2013. And I've been sharing with you, if you've been listening, I've been sharing with you each and every week about what's been going on. One day, I think it was like episode two, I was feeling kind of flat and I thought I should explain why I sounded kind of flat. And I went from there. And, you know, I've talked about some really personal stuff on this show. I talked about going off of meds with Michelle Laurie. I talked about going back on meds but with Darren Hayes. I've talked about all kinds of management, treatment, of what goes on in my head for a long time now. And I've opened up about it for sure, but I've opened, about it, opened up about it every week for nearly two years. Each week on this show, if you've been listening, I, I talk about my journey with, with well, what was a mental illness. I've since been downgraded to a condition, which is nice. And each week, the best part about it, well, one of the great parts about it is that people write to me. People write to me to say that since listening to my show, they're taking action. They're getting tools to help them deal with the things in their thinking that are preventing them from living the best life that they can. And that I feel and they write that they've found solidarity and solace in the discussion that I have with you listening and my guests every week about what it's like, what's, what it's like with, a, with a brain that's a little different. Because that's exactly how I feel that mental illness should be treated, that it should be talked about like any other illness. It's not something to be 
I feel. It's not something to be sensationalized. It's not something to be feared. It's not something to be mocked. Um, and while I do appreciate the kind attention that an article in the press can bring to an issue like this, I feel it's actually something we should be talking about all the time. Not just when it makes a clickable headline. And I've never really considered myself clickable because it's talking about it that makes it better for me. Talking about it with my doctors, talking about it with my friends, with my family, with my partner, with you. And hopefully if, you, if you're listening to this and it inspires you to talk about it, I hope that it makes it better for you as well. So anyway, onward and upward. I guess, you know, from now on, if you need to know anything about me, just ask. Because printing a falsehood to force someone into revealing the truth about something they'd rather keep to themselves is an effective tactic. I'll give you that. But you'd really want to not believe in karma to use it. <laughs> More importantly, all of this absolutely pales in comparison to the fact that Sydney in Australia, Sydney, where I am right now, experienced a storm that has no business being this far south. A Category 2 tropical cyclone lashed Sydney for nearly a week. And Sydney is nowhere near the tropics. This is what climate change looks like, my friends. A superstorm off the coast of Sydney that has no business being this far south. I hope that we don't have to suffer too many more superstorms before society has the economic will to change. That's all I'm saying, because this is climate change, ladies and gentlemen. This is what it looks like. Yeah, so it's been a big week for me, which is why I was very, very happy to speak with my guest this week. My guest today is a very, very special woman, Maz Compton. You can find her on Twitter at M-A-Z-C-O-M-P-T-O-N, or if you're in North America, M-A-Z-C-O-M-P-T-O-N. Maz is currently the host of the biggest morning radio show in Australia on the FM band. She has an incredible story that goes along with how she got there. In fact, it's, it's quite a parallel story in many ways to mine, which I found fascinating to speak with her, except she's a woman and 10 years younger. <laughs> but if you've ever wondered what it is to manifest your destiny, Maz, Maz is the shining example of that at work. She and I get very deep on this one fairly quickly, actually. We talk about creating your future, both of our experiences with creating your future, the power of writing down your dreams. And she opens right up about the role of spirituality in her life, the role that spirituality has in her successes and how she manages her failures. Maz is where she is because she works very, very hard at what she does. And she has done so since she was a teenager. And I just find her super inspiring. So I'm thrilled that I can bring her to you this week. We recorded this at my hotel. She was kind enough. I'm staying at a hotel at the moment. She was kind enough to, to show up. And she showed up, showed up in, her, in her late night. We, she showed up at three in the afternoon um, after being awake since three in the morning doing her show. So I can't thank her enough. If, if this is your first time hearing about Maz Compton, that's okay. If you're uh, listening in, in North America or the Netherlands or Canada or the UK, where I know I have a lot of listeners, um, if you've never heard of Maz, that's okay, because you were about to hear a story about how this woman decided exactly how her life was going to be 
and she got to live it almost exactly as planned. If anything you hear today resonates with you, please let her know. She's at Maz Compton on Twitter. But other than that, whatever you're doing, running, laundry, driving, sitting on your couch, afternoons, uh, what else What else? people email me this week saying when they listen, uh, uh, looking after sick loved ones, um, been told that there's a few people listening that they've emailed me and let me know that they're looking after people who are up at all hours of the night being ill and uh, they listen to the show. If you're doing whatever you're doing, you are going to love this. I'm thrilled that you're here. Thank you so much for being a part of the show and enjoy about an hour and 20 minutes with the wonderful, delightful and inspirational Maz Compton. So we're rolling. My okay. go- my girlfriend tells me all the time. What am I? Radio voice now. My is now when me, I put it on. My girlfriend tells me all the time that I have too much faith in humanity. Yeah, I think you know what? It's not a bad problem to have. Well, if it's a choice of having faith in humanity or going through life being suspicious of everyone. Yeah, I would absolutely rather be on that side of that fence. Otherwise you start buying guns and voting liberal and yeah. <laughs> all that kind of shit. Or just being paranoid in just general. Being terrified. I've had yeah. enough of that. Yeah, much. no, I'm with you. Well, thanks for coming. I know you've been up since forever o'clock. Um, yes, yeah, since 3.40 a.m. when my alarm went off. Yes. Boy. Well, so this is actually, you've got me, this is like the uh, crucial hour. It's like, you know how like sometimes people, if they're out drinking, they have the death sip and it takes them from being a normal human to a complete muppet? This is my death sip hour <laughs> because I, I've been up for so long and I'm a bit overtired, but I'm also really invigorated. So you've got this is like the perfect time to talk to me. Got to a point where my death sip was the first sip. <laughs> yeah, yeah, mine too, actually. So I had to give it away. But you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> well, I've, look, I'm really glad you're here. How much time do I have you for? When's when do you turn into a pumpkin? Oh, let's just see what happens. Like, if right. I do turn into a pumpkin, it'll, it'll well, probably make for there. a great headline. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks so much for coming. I'm so grateful you're here. Thanks um, for having me. Well. I'm thrilled that we get a chance to talk because I, I saw you the other day and I ran past you. I'm like, but I'm just because I was with I was with Merrick and um, well, I was walking past you and I really wanted to stop and say stuff, but I was like, oh, I'm with him. And so I'm like, grateful you're here. And I'm just, you know, I come back to Sydney and your face is everywhere, everywhere. It's insane. It's actually insane. Like I, I'm sick of seeing my own face. Like, and my friends tweet me pictures. Anytime one of my mates lands at the airport, because there's a massive billboard at the moment right out at the airport and everyone sends me a message going, oh, it's so good to be back in Sydney. I know I'm in Sydney because your face is everywhere. But look, I've been doing this for 11 years, so it's it's nice to be at this stage of my career where I'm like, oh, cool, like people are getting to know me and what I've been doing for so long now. Yeah. It's nice. But it must be kind of weird seeing your face everywhere. It's so weird. It's like, and especially just little things like, like on the back of ta- – like the other day I got out of a taxi and it drove off and I'm like, oh, that was, that's weird. That fits him with it. No, it was one of the yeah. Danimas taxis and I'm like, oh, just – but I think maybe I'm just super naive to it because I don't – it doesn't – it's never going to change me. That's just a part of the marketing team's plan yeah. for the brand that I've been building for so long. Did they warn you how big it was going to be? Uh, the billboard at the airport? No, I had no, no idea. No, 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 the outdoor <laughs> campaign. Did they say, by the way, this photo is going to be on outdoor and we, it's, we're spending big? I didn't know. I didn't think it would be as big as what it is. But then when I think about it, I'm like, of course it's got to be big because it's Sydney breakfast radio market. It's the most competitive market in the world in radio. It's 
the top job in in Australia in radio, like go hard or go home, you know, not here for a haircut. And they've got one, we've got one chance to make this work. Yeah. You get the call up for the big job once and you either succeed or fail. So I'm kind of glad they've gone large. Also, it means that they can't really sack us. Because <laughs> there's like. The chips are in. <laughs> like, well, what are you going to do with that flipping massive billboard at the airport? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. We, no, like, we have a, a few things in common. Yeah, we, okay. We Here both, we go. We both work in radio. We both worked yep. on music television. Correct. Um, and we were both born in the UK. Yeah. Were you born in the UK? I was born in the UK. Whereabouts? I didn't know this. I was born in London. Okay, I was born in Hastings, East Sussex. Right. So two and a bit hours out of London. How old were you when you came around? Uh, I was. I thought you were going to say, how old were you when you were born? I'm like, eh. um, I think we were the same age when we were born, eight. weren't we? You were I was eight, eight years when old. When you got born? When I got born, when I, we moved from um, the UK to Sydney, to the Northern Beaches. and um, That we, would have been like going to Mars. It was really weird. We were only meant to come out for a year, though. So my dad, um, he decided that he wanted to study at Bible college and my uncle had started a Bible college, so that was convenient. So we moved to Sydney for my dad to study for a year and then the plan was to go back to the UK and for dad to become a minister. And I think just after a year of living in like Warrywood on the northern beaches and, you know, me and my brother getting settled at school, my parents were just like, it's not a shit life. It's warm. So we, Yeah, like yeah. we just stayed. My grandparents sold our home and shipped all of our board games out and we stayed. That is like the real story. Wow. Couldn't get rid of us, <laughs> us Comptons. Was it hard for them to get visas to stay? Um, that's an interesting story. We, I, I think my parents probably tried to protect me and my brother from what really happened because one day I think my mum and dad were like, hey, we're going to New Zealand tomorrow. <laughs> and me and my bro were like, but mum, it's Tuesday afternoon. Like that's weird. We've got school, you know. And we went to New Zealand and my brother and I thought we were on a holiday. I don't remember how long we were there for. I know we went to some like water slide park, so I loved it. And the real story is, is that they changed the whole residency application at the time. And I think our, our application was on the top of the file and it was incorrect. And so someone just picked it up and went, these guys are actually illegal immigrants. They've got to reapply. So they had to boot us out of the country for us to reapply for our visas. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. And then so we had to go to New Zealand to do that to then come back and then went through the whole process and eventually got citizenship and I haven't been kicked out of the country. Wow. And I am illegal. I am legal. I'm <laughs> legally living here. How old were you when you became a citizen? Uh, 16. All oh, right. Yeah. I was 25. Yeah, I was 16. I was, I, we did it as a family, which is really cute. All oh, right. Yeah. I, lo I loved the day I became a citizen. I did it was it, cool. I did the town hall in Sydney. Did you? We were at a local, I think it was in Monavale so mm -hmm. long ago now. But, yeah, but that was a really cool moment too because when you're a kid and your parents decide to go live in another country, you don't realise the legalities, you don't realise it really didn't work out for us. Um, but, yeah, that moment was really cool because I was like, oh, this is home now, you know, this is nice. Was it like culturally difficult to adjust? No. Nah, I was – such a chameleon as a kid. I still am like super adaptable. So I I reckon I like picked up the Aussie accent like at recess on day one at school. Uh -huh. You know, like I I absolutely just feel like I I found a cool bunch of friends. I fit in. I started doing gymnastics. Like I just I was just this kid that was just adaptable and happy no matter what situation you put me in. So 
um, yeah, it was never this big transition that mm. I struggled with. You know, it was just always, oh, cool, we're playing in this playground now. <laughs> My accent got completely messed up. I, for a start, I got taught how to speak. Well, by, were you older or you weren't older? I was a kid kid. I was a baby when I came. Ooh, but right. I got taught how to speak by two people who spoke English as a second language. Oh, okay. Well, that's messed and up. And they both spoke with English accents. So when they were teaching us to pronounce words, they taught us to pronounce with an English accent. Sure. And we were in Adelaide, which already – like oh, they don't God, say the letter L. That's another thing that we've got in common. I lived yeah. in Adelaide for a while too. Yeah. So by the time I got to Brisbane, my oh God, they were people speaking directly through their nose, peeling paint from twenty yards. <laughs> oh yeah, that my accent disappeared fairly. Yeah, quick, I bet it did fairly fairly quickly. So school was school was okay. Or, yeah, school was great. Yeah? yeah, I went to Monavale Primary School, and then I went to Pittwater High School. These are all pretty. Pretty white bread parts of Sydney. Like, there's not a lot of brown people there. No, totally. And you know what? Well, like, there was like gr- the Cambodian family were around. The Bubalos were around. You know, um, but I feel Southern like, Europeans. Yeah, I feel like when I was at school, I, I didn't even have any concept of Sydney as a city, really, because, mm-hmm. like, I think you know, I went to Darling Harbour a few times with my parents, but outside of that, it was we would always hang out with um like people from church, that was a big part of my life growing up. And my mum's from Trinidad and Tobago and over here they just had this awesome Trinidadian kind of society that would get together. So we'd all get together in parks and um, all bring down curry and roti and play steel drums in a park. Like that was my upbringing on the northern beaches. So, But then I had like no concept of the wider part of Sydney until I was out of high school pretty Mm -hmm. much and I started working at Nova in Piermont and on the street team going out to Lakemba to give away free cans of soft drink. That's when my whole like brain switched wow. to Sydney and I was like, oh, this place is like an entire world in itself, you know, like it's so vast and massive and I've lived in this tiny, really, really nice part of it and had no idea how privileged I was until I left. Yeah. Yeah. We have that in common too. We'll get to that though. But is church yeah. still a part of your life? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah? And here yeah. I was swearing fruitily as you walked oh, in the door. I I'm so drop, sorry. I drop an F-bomb like. An absolute trooper and I'm never offended by anything like that. It's okay. just my personal faith story is like one that I'm still super attached to. Yeah. Yeah, but you could not offend me if you tried. Okay. Sorry. I work in radio for goodness <laughs> sake. Like you absolutely cannot offend me. Yeah. So I was always but so what because the church thing, I my parents put me in uh, Catholic school, I think, to appease grandparents and possibly sure. to give us discipline. And that was where the best, better education in Brisbane was at the time. The state schools weren't exactly great. Yeah. Um, but very early, around about 11 or so, I was like, something's up here. You're telling me I shouldn't be masturbating, but feels really good. Oh, yeah, no, that's yeah. definitely something is really, that's the Catholic church. Like, oh, yeah, all that super guilty stuff was yeah. firing in. And so very early I wasn't, that I went to church only because I got to play in the band. Oh, see, that's you know, cool. That was it. <laughs> and we would play in the bands. But, yeah, I was it, – it lost me very, very early. I um, think like – So, but hang on, let me finish. So oh, I, got, I got – as a result, I let my experience bias me quite heavily when it came to any other kind of religions, especially sure. the really big ones that have the ATMs and the lobby and stuff. That kind yeah. of really <laughs> frightens me. Yeah. And so I was really afraid of it for a long time. Mm. Um, but then when we started doing – uh, idol, of course, all these kids that are singing come straight from these churches because yep. they, what do I want to do? Do I hang out in the park on a weekend or do I want to sing to 10,000 people every Saturday screaming my name? Exactly. Uh, I'll be singing in church, thanks. Yeah. And I went to one of these churches 
And it kind of blew me away. It kind of freaked me out. But I thought, well, shit, if it is making their life good. Well, that's what that's where it is at for me. Like, I, you know, I know so many people have so many opinions about the church at large and, like, which church you go to and, like, does it matter? It's just like a pair of jeans. It's just a different brand. But at the end of the day, if you can find your personal growth and a personal connection with a higher power, call it the universe or God or whatever, the concept of faith for me is really strong. Yeah. So you know what? Yeah, I do go to church pretty much every Sunday and that's where I feel like I get energised and fed in my spiritual life. Um, and then there are other people that just don't even believe that that's a, that should be a part of their life and that's cool too. So I'm mm. never going to, like I said, you can't offend me. Like I, we live in a real world and everyone can believe what they want and, and it's not my job to judge anyone but I have found that having a belief system and a faith um, through all of the stuff that I've been through, I've lived about 10 lives already, um, has been the consistent thing that got me through, like the tough times mm. and the thing that kept me real when the great times came about. Uh-huh. Yeah. I would have to agree with that. Only like mm. the past five years since pretty much since I stopped drinking, I've led, I've been on a more spiritual path. Yeah, that's another uh, thing that we have in common. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. You stopped drinking too? This year. Right. Yeah. Well, there you go. Well, yeah. I hope your reason wasn't as much as mine. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I've been I've been on a, a spiritual path, and that there's a great line that my uh, my guy tells me. He's like, uh, "Religion is for people who believe in hell. Spirituality is for people that have been there." Yeah, that I completely <laughs> agree with that. I totally agree with that. Yeah. It's you know, and but yeah, so I, I've. While I do very much associate with the atheist vibe and the 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 idea that you know the place of science in the universe and mm. the science in our lives, in many ways, when I see the absolute incredible intricacies of science and the universe as it is, and the astonishing creations of life that exist in this planet, I can't help but be in awe of that. Yeah. And to me, I mean, that's what I see. If anything, I would that to me is what this idea of God looks like. How can I not respect yeah. this thing that is so much bigger than me that defines every single aspect of my life? Totally, completely on the same page. Like it's, it's not for me. It's agree. not a guy with a beard in the clouds helping people win football games. No, no. But that's that's what it is for me. Yeah. It took me a while to find that. Yeah, of course. And I think also because, you know, we live in a society where there's controversy about everything and, you know, the church does have a pretty bad name for itself. And some churches have, you know, um, yeah, just not done the right thing or, or you know, not been the, the right home for people. And I think an actual physical building is not what church is for me. It's the relationships I've had um, with people that have, you know, been a bit smarter than me and made the mistakes before me that I've learned from and, you know, guided me and helped me in my journey. And that to me is what I identify as the church. It's not necessarily the building, but I do love, I am a really creative person, but I actually love structure. And so for me, the, the, the weekly ritual almost yeah. keeps me really consistent and really accountable to like the faith system that I have. And that's why that works for me. My, one of my very good mates actually, who was here just the other day, he is, uh, you know, he's just your regular one of the mill, uh, pious human <laughs> well he's a you know he's he's a muslim and he gets that five times a day yeah five times a day he has that okay hold off 
I've, I'm just in between meetings, but I'm just going to go off and check in yep. and get real yep. with what's going on in, in, and what is actually important and what's not important. Then I'll come back and I'll have another meeting. Sure. And he does that five times a day, every day of his life. And, you know, I kind of like, wow, I wouldn't mind that. <laughs> <laughs> it seems such a, you know, an interesting way to live, yeah. to live your I'd life. I'd also love a siesta, you know, like every yeah. afternoon. Like that should be part of my religion as well. <laughs> well, your first name is Maria. I mean, you, could probably, you could probably claim some sort of Something. siesta. So that, the, the other thing that you talk about, not only, and this is like the spiritual path that I've been on, has led me to be in touch with a fantastic community and a fantastic fellowship of people mm. that have really helped me and connected me to things that have really helped me a lot, mostly in my personal life, but at some some stage my career. Did that yeah. community help your career? Um, <clears throat> I've kept them quite separate, to mm -hmm. be honest. Like I think there was definitely, uh, you know, when I was doing VJing for MTV and, you know, my star was shining a little bit and it was, I think, you know, a bit exciting for my local church to have, you know, oh, that she's on the TV, you know, like I think um, – I got asked to get involved and, you know, like, will you run a connect group and, like, will you be this beacon of light and hope for the lost and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, actually, no, like, I need to come here and I I need I need this and I'm happy to tell my story and I'm happy to be, like, you know, a part of this community but, like, please don't, like, peg me as this leader because I'm probably going to fail and I don't want to let anyone down and I, I need to come here to reset. And so really early on, I kind of made that boundary quite clear and it was totally respected. So I didn't end up, you know, like on the church circuit and preaching my testimony on altars every Sunday because also I needed a flipping weekend. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, it's so easy in this in this industry to just be such a yes person that you end up com completely forgetting about you and not getting what you need. And so I, early on, I'm quite glad that I was wise enough to go, you know what, I'm just going to draw that line in the sand and it's not a no but it's just a, like not right now this is not the season for me yeah. to be leading other people like I I need to just sort of be accountable to my leaders that was sort of how that all like panned out quite early on right but I'm sure yeah. that support was there oh, for you when absolutely. you needed keeping that separate allowed that support to happen when you needed because I could just go in and when I was a mess I was allowed to be a mess and I didn't have to keep up appearances and you know, when things were tough or when I was having, you know, relationship crisis or whatever, or making the decision to leave MTV was one of the toughest choices I've made. And that whole process took months of, of journeying and, you know, like working out like, is this, like, I feel like I need to move on. Like, I feel like this is done, but I have to make that leap of faith. Like that was, you know, intense, but to have, you know, people that knew my whole story and knew me intimately, um, to be able to go and have a conversation with zero judgment was just the best thing ever. You know, it just was, it's just great to have a sounding board that will just won't judge. I wish I had that when I left the Channel V. It's the tough, it, it honestly was, was one tough. of the tough, because my. Was there a moment when you knew that, because yeah. we, we have that in common as well, that we we're both on the music Was there a moment you knew yeah, when it was I, over? It was during, it was during a shoot that we were doing for the MTV News. And I was, I just had this moment, I think we were like between takes or whatever. And I just had a moment to just look at my surroundings and I just felt, I just felt it in my gut, just go, okay, and we're done now. Like, you, wow. it, you've, like you've ticked the box, you've done all your growing and you actually, you've got to, you know, we, we, and now we move on. Yeah. And I'm like, but this is my dream job and I really like it and everybody really likes me and I'm really good at it, you know, and I had this internal fight for months. I thought I was going insane because I'm like, 
why would you consciously choose to leave the job that you've wanted for 10 years that you've been doing? Like that is the, they're the thoughts of a crazy person, right? And when I, when I was able to, to flesh it all out and write and write and write in my journal and I got, you know, down to it, it's like, well, you don't grow unless you're being challenged and I'm not being challenged anymore. And, you know, and that it took ages to get to that point. But it was absolutely because I had like, I've got these like great pockets of people that I can go to mm-hmm. and they're not just my yes people. They, they won't just tell me what I want to hear. They'll tell me what I need to know. And I'm just super grateful for setting that system up, you know, early wow. on. I remember the, I remember the moment it was, we were at Federation Square in Melbourne, which is, it's a, it's a big square in the center of the city of Melbourne. Yeah. It's beautifully architecturally designed. in the bubble? No. I don't, and it was after that actually. <laughs> uh, and it's got a stage with a raked amphitheater and there was 5,000 or 6,000 people there who'd been waiting all day long to see a band called Dashboard Confessional. Oh, wow. Cool. And Dashboard Confessional were on and I just introduced them and they were singing and they were playing and there's 5,000 people singing along with them, grown men in tears at the sounds oh of these songs. Gosh. Everyone was weeping and I'm standing on the side of the stage going, don't, no. Care factors don't, zero. This has gone straight past me. Yeah. I was 32 and I'm like, no, nah, yeah. I do not get it. Therefore, I should not be standing here. Someone who gets it should have this yeah. job. And I, that was it. I was yeah. done. Took and me once a little you while. have that mm. like moment drop in you, you like, you can't go, you cannot go back. Can't like go you back. actually, like what the universe will do whatever it can, throw at you to make you, like to force you to move forward, yeah. you know. And some people get it and some people don't. And I feel like I got it pretty quickly and, and then it was like a, then it was quite quick, the succession of what happened next, right. you know. So tell me about the journaling. How long have you been doing that? Oh, my goodness. I've been writing in a journal since, probably since I was 13 or 14. Um it probably when I was young, when I was a teenager, it was more like, "Dear diary, today I did a hundred sit-ups." Thirteen, um, you're doing a hundred sit-ups. <laughs> I was a gymnast. <laughs> um, so yeah, back in the day, it was like, "I'm in love with Lachlan Walsh." You know, just it was just it was just writing a diary. Yeah. Um, and that evolved into this need for me to. It's how I communicate really well. Like I know I'm a communicator, but. Um, I'm a writer at art and um, it just, I have to get stuff out. Like I have to put it on paper or type it out or whatever and it helps me process my thoughts really well because it does get quite cloggy and confused up there because I do go a million miles an hour. And I find when I write stuff down, sometimes I'll just write stuff down, go away and then look at it and go, oh, so that's how I'm feeling. Oh, that's interesting. You know, like it's just, it's a way that I express myself. To externalise the emotions that have been flying around in your head. Yeah, it gets it out. And also it when you write things down in black and white, if you are having a really irrational or hyper-emotional reaction to something, it's a lot easier to identify when it's written down as opposed to just going, but this is how I feel. Mm. <laughs> like that doesn't feel right to me. When you write it down, you go, well, no, that's actually super wrong of you and irrational. Like... <laughs> You idiot. <laughs> my, uh, so my, my, I've got a, a, a few doctors, but my psychiatrist. Oh, everyone needs a few doctors. Oh, yeah, mate. So my psychiatrist was explaining to me that when those, because I've got, I have, you know, an interesting brain that has its, has its moments. And so I often get thoughts that just loop around. And he says that that's energy flying around. The way he explained it, like that's energy flying around in the brain. And it's doing that because your brain says this is important and you shouldn't forget it. So yeah. 
the actual physical activity, you can't type it into a phone, the actual physical act of picking up a pen or a pencil, putting it on paper, that energy is then transferring over to another part of the brain, down your arm, yep. into your hand, onto the page, and then when you read it back, it closes the loop. Yep. And when he explained it to me like that, I was like, oh, right. Yeah, it's, it's super scientific yeah. when you say it like that. And it, I think for a guy that pro- that's, makes sense because it's very practical. Yeah. You know, and as a girl, I'm like emotional, so I'm like, I've got to just get it out, you know. <laughs> it's just got to come out of me. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So mm. high school, when you're, when you're in high school, what point did you realise that this sort of thing was going to be your job? Okay, so this is where the whole journal thing is something that I will always do. So when I was... I don't know if you'll believe me, but I was, I'll believe anything. I was very quiet at school. That's okay. So I was a total study bunny. I, you know, like my brother was older than me, and he was a bit of a rebel. Like he, you know, in the white middle class suburban he, way. Yes, <laughs> I, I think very early on, I took on this role of like trying to be the perfect child for my parents because. My bro was going through some stuff and causing some grief in the family. So I'm like, well, I've just got to be the perfect child. So I was just a massive study bunny and a real nerd at school. And I um, auditioned to go or interviewed to go on an American exchange program. And being like the not so popular kid at all, I I honestly thought I had zero chance. And they selected four people to go and I was one of them. And it was me and three of the very popular kids. And I was... When I remember when Mr. Mitchell, our science teacher, told me that I was going to live in Chicago for three months with a family and go to an American high school, I, it was like this game-changing moment. I was like, oh, my God, I said I really wanted to do that and it's happened. Like that concept became quite apparent. So I went to America and I lived with this awesome family. So I'm still best friends with the, the girl that I stayed with. I'm going to be the maid of honour at her wedding next June. Awesome. And um, she was the maid of honour at my wedding, even though my marriage failed. Still, like, she got the call. We have that in common too. Oh, yes, High five. five. Yeah. yeah. Man, <laughs> like the same person. So we, um, yeah, so I was in America and I, one of my girlfriends had given me, like, a, just a little book um, and her and all of my friends had written little messages in saying, like, we're going to miss you. It's like three months of, like, you know, the end of year 10. And Chicago can be a brutal city. What oh, time I was year? there winter. Get out of yeah, here. Yeah, it was minus, like, 40, yeah. like, in, you know, wind chill factor. But for me, such a novelty, you know, this kid from the Northern Beaches going over and living where it's snowing and it was wild. And the high school, the high school that I went to had 4,000 students. And that, and that was years 9, 10, 11 and 12. So that was, yeah, that was intense. So I'm, you know, going to high school in America, not wearing uniform, like loving life. And um, I decided to, to get this book that all my friends had written messages in. I thought I'll get all my American friends to write messages that are back when I leave and I'll keep it as a memento. And for whatever reason, in the middle, like dead in the middle of this journal, I just wrote like a handful of just little bits just notes that I w- I wanted to keep, I guess, about, you know, moments and things. And I, like towards the end of the trip, my grandma passed away and I remember being so sad because I couldn't see my mum and it was her mum and, you know, like just expressing myself. And I wrote in the middle of this flippin' journal, I don't know why, but I was like, I want to be a TV presenter on MTV. I wrote it down, 15 years old. And I think it's because I was in Chicago watching Total Request Live, 
you know, and seeing, you know, this crazy music television, like hysteria in America and, that was like Carson Daly in sync. It was like Christina Aguilera. It was like the bees knees hype. of yeah. you know. It was MTV before it was, YouTube. It was the only way you could see video. It was the only way you could see videos, and I loved music. And I was like, oh my god, that would be the dream, you know. And I wrote this like paragraph in the, in this journal at the age of fifteen over in America. And then you fast forward, and we'll I know we'll get to the story, but you fast forward to the day that I got the job on MTV as a VJ to host TRL in Australia for the first time that it was launching here. And you go, well, that's quite powerful. But the crazy thing is I completely forgot that that journal existed. And it was a week after I got the job and my mum rang me in like hysterics and I'm like, oh God, what's like, are you okay? And she's like, I've just been cleaning out under the house. She goes, I promise you this was an accident, but one of the books fell off the shelf and it was this floral diary and it just landed on a page and I picked it up and I started reading and it said that you wanted to be a TV presenter on MTV and host TRL. And she's like, Maz, that's the job that you got last week. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. And she just flipped out going, like, this kid has wanted to do this since she was 15, like, wrote down the vision and it's been a long journey but it came to fruition. So for me, journaling is like maybe the most powerful thing you can do personally. <laughs> we have a similar story. Yeah, it's We have wild. a similar story. I was standing, I've told the story before, I was standing at the Big Day Out in, it had to be 97 because there was no Big Day Out in 98. Yep. Big Day Out in 97. I'm standing on the left-hand side of the stage, Gold Coast Big Day Out. I've got a beer in each hand. This is back in the day. And I'm watching Tism play. Yes. And I'm like, oh, man, you know what would be really good? I'd love to meet the Beastie Boys. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that'd be awesome. I know what I'll do. When they release a new album, I'll go get a job on Channel V and I'll interview them. That way I can meet them. Awesome. And then, Craig, the stop sign. Went back to it. <laughs> Didn't think anything of it. Uh, two years and four months later, on May the 12th, no, May the 20th, 1999, six weeks after I got a job at Channel V, I'm interviewing the Beastie Boys. It's just, yeah, it's wild. So, and that sort of thing has happened in my life a, a few lot. times. Same. That's fairly undeniable. Yeah, it is. It's that, really weird. Is it? Uh, it's weird, I think, for people that don't under, understand certain things about the universe, about spirituality, about positive reinforcement. You know, there's, there's a bunch of things at play with a story like that that are just more than the headline of wrote down vision, got dream job, you know. Um, and it hopefully will continue to to happen in my life. My um my boyfriend jokes about we're having a chat. This was only a few months ago, and I said something, and he goes, "Yep." He goes, "Well, whatever you say actually happens, so I'm going to listen to you." And I was like, "Wow, like that's that's your truth about how I conduct myself as a human on this planet. That like like." I manifest stuff and I tend to be as positive as I possibly can. So that's such, I was like, that's good feedback. <laughs> mm. That's a nice thing to know that you've noticed about me. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I feel the same way. And, and in, actually in the past it has, it has bothered uh, uh, exes of mine when I've gotten into depressive stages because I start talking about bad things. Yeah. And they go, well, shut, your, shut your mouth. Because that sh- everything that comes out of your mouth happens. Yeah. So be careful. It goes both ways. Yeah. And also in saying that, um, there's 
you know, there's a yin and a yang, you know, and what goes up must come down. And like we've talked about the high points, you know, like mm. getting the job, writing down the vision, that's all really, really good stuff. But there's also like a negative force in the universe that will try and stop that happening as well. And battling that and fighting it's that I know a little bit about your story. You know, it's not, it wouldn't be, it would be outrageous to think that that was just the way that the world worked, that mm. you could just willy-nilly get all of your dream jobs and not face any, you know, you know, stuff. I think that's where people get stuck as well, where they go, I cannot fight anymore. Like I actually, I'm done and they give up. And that's why I'm probably a one percenter because I haven't, I just have refused to stop at, at any cost. You know, I'm like, I'm going through with this because we're here. You get one chance every single day. So I want to look back and go, well, I made them all count. Right. Yeah. So did the did you manifest the radio job? Yeah. So um, yep. <laughs> <laughs> right answer. <laughs> so um, because you were young when you started it. Uh, radio, so right? well, I got so I got my job on MTV when I was twenty four. And I. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I did MTV. No, 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 no. I'm talking about your first radio job. At Nova, yeah, being a producer. No, 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 before that, when you're on Street Team. Oh, Street, yeah. Oh my gosh. So Street Team, because that's how I got in too. Was, I got in driving around the trucks, was, giving away the icy cold yeah, cans. Yeah, you were. To, wasn't your um? Wait, don't tell me. Yeah, Spidey. So, that's exactly. Is right. that you, Spidey? Yeah, yeah. It was 1994. You know, that's we all Spidey. had. We all had radio nicknames. We yeah, all had radio nicknames. Yeah, I did the Street Team stuff, and that because I was I worked in PR for a little while straight out of high school, pretty much, and. I just thought, well, PR, you know, I'm doing press releases for Feltex carpets. That's not floating my boat. But if I work at a radio station, that's one step closer to being an, on television. That was my logic. So then I got the a logic. job on the street team. So, yeah, so that was I was like 21 when I started driving cars around for Nova and then I became a producer. How did that happen? For the breakfast show um, at Nova. Yeah. I, a friend of a friend um, so how did you go? How did you get from internally once you got in? Ah, uh, because because I remember this at B one hundred and five in Brisbane. It okay. was very much like there was the downstairs and the upstairs. Like we uh, we we operated down in the stinky garage with you know crates and crates of coke and crap yep. that we would give away in a million stickers, and it's we always smelled like petrol yep. and sweat. But upstairs was air conditioned Brisbane, and nice. right? And nice, and like we were never allowed. To go up there. Oh, really? Oh, this is the nineties. It was pre Duopoly. Or it was before uh Triple M and 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 Two Day were in the same building. Oh, okay. This is before they bought each other. Okay, so well at Nova, it was it was very much like the breakfast show were at one end of the building and then everybody else is at the other end of the building. Um, but 
I I felt like we had a really great community. Like I, I mean, I used to mingle with the sales reps and it was very, I know it's a business and it was a workplace, but really it was more of a circus. We were riding around on, you know, like Pepsi keg, motorized Pepsi kegs. And, you know, we were like the badasses of radio because we were breaking the rules and we sounded different. And it was just, you you. it was a gang. Like it was yeah. such a gang. And I honestly think like, I think I filled in for someone answering phones one morning. Like that's how you pretty much get every job in radio when someone's sick. Yep. <laughs> Never take a day off. Pretty much. Um, I filled in for someone in the morning once and um, Nick McClure, who was their executive producer, I think she just liked my vibe and I think, you know, like I did all the right things and she was like, do you want to, because I, I think I was just working permanent part-time or whatever before you get real jobs, that's what they call mm. it. And she was like, do you want to, come and work on The Breakfast Show full-time. And I was like, yeah, I do. That's pretty much – and then I learned how to be a producer. And so you are working with one of the country's most famous now broken up radio duos, Merrick and Rosso. Correct. I was their assistant for about nearly three years. What did you learn about being an on-air duo from those guys? Um, well, at the time I had no desire to get into broadcast. So other than being a VJ on MTV, that was my, that was my focus and that was the game that I was playing. So I, it's hilarious to think now that I actually do that job. Um, I saw how, I saw how teams work. Um, I saw how comedians work and I got to sit in a room with two comedians for the, you know, the best part of a morning. Um, and I just, I think it was all observational and I didn't realise how much I'd learnt until I was in the chair. And I was like, oh, I remember how they used to do this and, and, I remember that that didn't work either and so maybe we should try it this way, you know. And so I think just being around the environment and being such a sponge and being a bit of a chameleon, you just, you just, it's like another layer of clothing, you know, yeah. like I put on that layer and then I get into this job and I'm like, oh, there's that layer that I learned all that stuff about mm. that I didn't realise at the time. If you had have told me then, you know, in 10 years, Maz, you're going to be hosting the Sydney Breakfast Show at the competitor at Today FM, I would have been like, whatever, you crazy person. But that's happening. It's absolutely happening. Yeah, it's Radio's true. very much got a habit of moving people around the country. Yeah, it does. How many geograph how many geographics have you done? Um so I went so my first this is what, my sixth year on seventh year on air on radio. So I did a local city night show with James Curley for a year. Then Nova nationalized everything and I did a late night show with Dan, who I'm still with, and Matt Saracini. So the three of us got sort of paired together. So we did six months of late nights, then we did six months of nights, then we got sent to Adelaide. Off-Broadway. I was in Adelaide for two years. Get out of here. Two years. Oh, must have felt like eight. Uh, no, do you know what? <laughs> it was so... I was there for five months. It was long I, enough for me. I loved my time in Adelaide. Again, it's that whole, like, you can put me anywhere and yeah. I'll have a good time. And I just saw the positives. Like I was in this city where I had just um, broken up from my marriage. So for me, I got the chance to go to a brand new city yeah, awesome. where no one knew anything right. about me. Yeah. I could rebrand. I could heal. I could, like, you know, date people. Like it was Never just, run into your ex or any of I his friends. never going to run into my ex. <laughs> you know, I was like, you know, as far as when you when you go through a divorce, you also, you know, you have to kind of break up your friendship circle. I'm worst. like, you can have them all. I'm going to Adelaide, yeah. you know. So for me, it was like the most amazing timing ever. 
And it's actually one of the reasons why I went. We we had broken up about five months before this job opportunity came up and I thought, man, if I was still married, well, I mean I was still legally married, but if we had decided to work out our marriage, going to Adelaide was not going to be on the cards at all. But it had gone the other way and we were separated and I was like, well, I feel like I can just go do that now and I did. So it was a great decision. So I did Adelaide for two years then um, and that was all for Nova and then I got asked to join the SCA network and that worked out really well and I moved back to Sydney for a year. Then I got shipped off to Melbourne last year to do National Drive and now I'm back in Sydney. So there's a few, <laughs> there's a few things you skipped, skipped over Ooh. very quickly. So so you've been in the same broadcasting family for a few years and then the competition calls you up yes now what was that like um that was, was it clandestine was it, it was so secret scary. meetings scary um well it was all done through um my manager at the time so that's sort of how that all happened so I remember um I was in Sydney and we'd just done um we'd just been doing a, like a national breakfast fill-in show for Nova um so we'd been flown up from Adelaide they're like these these kids doing their radio show, they're really fun. So let's just stick them on while everyone else is on holidays, which is also another way that you end up getting jobs in mm. media is when people take holidays and you get the chance to to fill in. Mm-hmm. So we were doing this national breakfast show and survey had just come out and we'd just been celebrating a win. And I was That's in the ratings for the folks ratings, who are listening. Correct. And my manager rang me and he was like, I've just had a very interesting phone call and um, it's from the direct competition and I was like well what does that mean he's like well they're offering you a job and I'm like well I don't need a job like I've got a job I'm I love my job I do the breakfast show like are you kidding not having any idea what the job was or what that actually meant like I didn't overthink it I was just like well what should we do and he goes we take the call Maz I'm like oh okay no idea. That's why I need a manager. Um, and so they had several conversations about, you know, um, what the opportunity was and and my contract was coming to an end. So basically it got to a point where I had two contract offers from two different networks, one I'd worked with for seven years, one I'd worked with for a year back in 2005. And, and I was like, well, I just have to make this decision. And one offer was to um, stay in Adelaide and the other offer was to move to Sydney. And at the end of the day, I made I made a lifestyle choice because I did say that I was going to go to Adelaide for two years and then I wanted to come back to Sydney and it would, it was two years was coming up. So that's sort of, that's my interpretation of how that all went down. I know that the conversations between management and my manager would have been like very, very different to that. Yeah. But he was great at protecting me from... You know, that, that was his job to protect me from all of that stuff. And yeah. he, the, during the whole process, because it was about, you know, three or four-week process of fielding calls and, like, you know, reading through stuff and going, oh, this is wild. Did you have to do any secret flights out and do any No, meetings? I didn't because oh. my manager did all of that okay. stuff. Yeah, I know. I wish it was more exciting. Like, oh. I know I wish I got schmoozed a bit more, to be honest. Like, right. I wish there was, like, bottles of champagne and, when like. I, when I left radio for TV, there was some middle-of-the-night middle flights out to Sydney for, really? for late-night late night dinners and meeting no, the general manager I wish it stuff. was sexy And then flying story. back and walking to the office and say, G'day, Mike, g'day, Craig, how are you, Craig Bruce? Hey, how are you, mate? Oh, a bit tired, didn't sleep very well last night. I'd slept for an hour on my brother's couch. Oh, yeah, no, yeah. it wasn't that sexy, unfortunately. <laughs> it was actually quite just a normal transition and. And then, you know, and then the decision was made and I, yeah. you know, I 
left and had three months off and then moved to Sydney. And, right on. And away we go in the, the so next crazy part of the story. We've talked a lot about MTV. We talked a lot about radio, but the MTV yes. thing's pretty amazing. Yeah. It sounds like. Oh, wait, I didn't even get to the question, which was did I manifest breakfast radio? But the point is when I was working with James Curley, I wrote down I wanted to host this new breakfast show. And four years later I'm doing it, basically. <laughs> At the time I was working for Nova as well. I didn't specify which network, but I was like, I want to host this. I wrote this Sydney breakfast show. So I'm doing that now. So that's good. <laughs> you just <laughs> casually dropped that on the table. I was on a, it was, we had a brainstorm. It was on a bit of butcher's paper and we did a bit of like vision boarding and goal setting and stuff. And You and Curly? Me and Kels. Right. Yeah. <laughs> wow. That's, that's, that's pretty huge. We, uh, you... Also did a lot of stuff at MTV in a very short amount of time. Oh, it's five years. Well, that's a, that's a short amount of time for how much you did. Yeah, true. Yeah, that was an exhausting five years. I didn't stop. It was fun though. Yeah. Super fun. So I remember that time because we were at Channel V with a competition and I, I vaguely remember there was a, you know, we'd heard rumours that MTV had heard that they were number one, number one in every market except Australia and they couldn't, they were like, well, fuck, that's about to end. And with a wave of a checkbook, uh, they ended Channel V like that. There's no way we could compete. Yeah. We, were, we were busted. Yeah. We couldn't go up against it. And you were you were a part of that. I was a part yeah. of that. Yeah. It was pretty... But it's cool. I was done by then. Yeah, you were anyway. out anyway. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I knew it was over. I was like that was coming to the part where I yeah, knew it was over. Yeah, and look how the tables have turned again, you know. Like, oh, it makes me sad when I see MTV now. I'm like, oh, but we did so good for so long. Yeah. But, yeah, I was a part of that. And I, at the time, you know, like I just, all I wanted to do was work on MTV. That's all I wanted to do. And a friend of mine saw this, like, ad in Who magazine. I don't know why he was reading Who magazine, but anyway. Um, and it said like VJ search MTV and he's like, you should do this. Like, you you know, you're you're funny. He's like, we're doing street team stuff and he's like, you're funny, you should do this. I'm like, okay. I put together this little show reel with my friend and I like went rock climbing and I like had all these rock climbing puns and just being an idiot basically. And I sent it in and then they called me and they're like, would you want to do an audition? I'm like, oh, I don't even know what that is. But it sounds exciting, sure. And I went into MTV at North Ride, which was way less lovely than what I thought it was going to be. I was like. This is kind of shitty for MTV, like yeah. global television studios, what? You know, and um, and I did this audition and asked me all these questions like, you know, like who, who would you want to interview? Like if you got the chance to interview everyone, I'm like, well, Oprah, of course, you know, like. And, and then I remember they rang me like two weeks later and they're like, hey, you did so well, but we're going to give the job to Jason Dundas. And I was like, fuck Jason Dundas. <laughs> I'm so mad. I was like, who is that turd? And I was so sad because I was like, this is, I wanted the job on MTV. I wrote it in my diary. I'm like, this is bullshit. Didn't they understand the power I, of the right? diary? I was so mad. I was like, this completely threw me on the whole concept I had of the universe and how it works. Like I was a mess. And I know it's a funny story now, but at the time I was, I was like, God, why do you hate me? Like I was so distraught. But a year later, um, MTV called me up and they were like, how are you going? And I'm like, fine. My life's fabulous, MTV. Um, and they're like, hey, you know, like we've got we've got a bunch of new shows that we're doing and like we really loved your audition last year. Do you want to come back and, and do another audition? And in my head I'm like, why so you can break my heart again? 
Um, and I'm like, sure. I'm like, I'd love to come back. I'd still really love to work. And I said, to be honest, I'd love to work for MTV in any capacity. Like I just love the brand and, you know, I'm a huge fan and whatever. And also that show that you did with Jason, Home Buzz, was a piece of crap. Um, no, I didn't say that. So I went back and I did another bunch of auditions. And then, you know, like a month goes by and every time my phone rings, I'm having a heart attack because mm. I'm like, it's MTV and they're going to tell me that, you know, someone else has got the job or that they've poached Andrew G at the time yeah. or whatever, yeah. right? And um, and so eventually after a month, um, my phone rings and they're like, can you come back again? I'm like, oh, God, again? Like just make up your mind. And I went back again and I'm sitting, I walk into MTV reception and I get ushered into a boardroom and I'm sitting in a boardroom like this is, again, like not as glamorous as I thought being at MTV would be like. Like what is going on, guys? And this, this man walks in and hands me his business card and sits down. His name's Nigel Robbins and I'm just sitting there and I've like taken time off work, like having a doctor's appointment um, to be in this meeting. Well, there's your sexy clandestine interview, you know. <laughs> Not quite as sexy as getting on a plane but you drove to North Ride. I drove to North Ride. Well I had to lie to my boss, drive yeah. to North Ride. And he starts going through the history of MTV in Australia and I, and because like I'm a little bit ADD, I'm just looking around the boardroom going, oh, like that's a really interesting block mount on, you know, like not paying attention. And then he goes, so we'd like to offer you the job of VJ at MTV, Maz. And I, I went, what? And he's like, yeah, like we, we brought you here to tell you that you've got the job as a VJ. And then the guys that auditioned me burst into the boardroom with party poppers and were like, yay, like you're going to be the new VJ. You're going to host TRL in Australia. And I'm like, I'm so confused. I'm like, do I have to go and quit my job now? They're like, yeah, you've got to go and resign because this is your contract to be a VJ for the next year of your life. And I'm like, I don't even know what this means, but I'm so excited. And then I got ushered into a guy's office called Ian Thorley, who was my first executive producer at MTV. And he was like, this is it, sweetheart. This is where your journey begins. Like you're, He's like, when you're, you know, in your five-star hotel in LA and you've just interviewed Snoop Dogg, just remember this moment because this is day one for you. And I was like, I'll remember you when I charge the minibar to your credit card <laughs> is what I'll do. And that's how, that that was the day that my yeah. my whole life changed really. Yeah. It's, and to, to think back, so then when, so knowing that story and then to think about the diary entry at 15, you go. Yeah. Yeah, wild. Did you sign the contract that day? I did sign the contract. Shit, you didn't read it? Um, no, it was, well, it was just a one-page offer uh, at the time, which I signed, and then, and then, you know, like a week later, I had to go and resign. What were you going to do? Not sign it, <laughs> guys? Just give. I just need some time to think about it. Got to go take it to my people, um, take it to my lawyers. Yeah, so I had to that, and that was so we, so me, Carl Sandilands, and Jason Dundas were on the first episode of TRL. Which, when you say now, you just go, "That's hilarious." The guy that's on Kiss FM. And the dude that's like hosting the E Channel over in New York or LA, wherever Jace is based now, um, like yeah, we were the first three that did TRL. It was wild. And then Jace, it's so funny. I've told Jason that story about yeah. my whole mantra. Like I put his face on my dartboard and hated him for a year. And we've like we're super good mates. And it was just so a year later to meet him and just fall in love with the most adorable man. You're like, oh, I actually really like you and want to be your friend forever, you know? Yeah. And I was like, do you know how much I hated you? I hated you. I'm like, you stole my job. But it wasn't mine for the taking. It's interesting how we want stuff sometimes. Yeah, but it so badly, right. but it's not right. Because what happened a year later was 
like bang on the money. The story wouldn't be as good mm. if I got the job a year before. It's interesting, you know, at the time though, it's very tough. But now I've learned that, you know, luckily I learned it. It was right about when I got divorced. I was like, well, if it was supposed to work, it would have worked. Yeah. Yeah. It didn't work. Sometimes that can be a cop out, but I do know what you're saying. Well, it's not exactly a cop out because it's like when, when jobs don't come my way, I remember calling up my, I calling up my guy the day I lost, I lost my radio job doing, um, hot hits from Los Angeles. I lost that and Bondi rescue within 36 hours of each other. Ouch. And I called up, I called up my guy, my, my mentor. And I said, um, so I just lost the other job. So now I'm unemployed. Had first words out of his mouth were, I'm excited for you, pal. You've now got all this space where the universe is going to give now you something better. Room. Yeah. It's so hard to, that's a really hard, I cannot wait till I'm in like this fine-tuned headspace where that's my immediate reaction when shit happens, where I don't an, immediately like want to go to ground, get a hot water bottle and a tub of ice cream and just, you know, like mm-hmm. wallow in my room where like shit happens and, and my immediate response is, what a great opportunity. Like I try, I'm so conscious of trying to do that as often as possible, especially with being creative every single day, you know, like the content monster of breakfast radio is really intense and people shoot ideas down or whatever. But my, I'm trying to get that to be my default and it's really difficult, especially it's easier when it's about someone else. Like it's easier to go, oh, that's okay. I'm so sorry for you. But look, it's all going to be different in a year, I promise. I've said that to so many of my friends mm. during drama that for your own like your internal monologue to go to that as a default, I reckon would be an awesome place to live. It's the, it's the first point one thing that comes to my mind. Yeah. So okay. the old thing does come to my mind straight away, but I know, I know where that road goes. Yeah. If that road leads to resentment and resentment is the most dangerous thing that I can possibly have in my life. Yeah. So if, like as soon as I feel the resentment, I go, I, I, well, clearly I just always remember that Louis C.K. line. No good marriage ever ends in divorce. Yeah, true. So true. So true. <laughs> yeah. I know it's, yeah, that's, oh, I can't wait to get there. I'm getting there. I reckon I'm getting there. So now you're doing the, you know, which I'm, I've done that job. I've yeah, done, you have, well, you. I've filled in a few times. You and Rach, we sent you vegan cupcakes. You sent, that's right. And you didn't even, I don't think you knew that they were vegan, but that was the whole thing because we were like, Osha and Rachel Finch are doing a breakfast radio show. We've got it. We were like, we've got to send them a gift. And I was like, it has to be vegan cupcakes. That's the only thing that we can send them. That's right. We send you vegan cupcakes. You. <laughs> so I was doing the sun, the, the fill in <laughs> breakfast on Nova, and you sent us vegan cupcakes on my first morning. And it was the nicest, nicest, nicest thing. That, yeah. Like. <laughs> Because, like I said, I started radio when before everyone was owned by the same people, yeah. and we were at war with each other. And you just that sort of shit never ever went down. And that you did that culture like, change. It was so lovely. Culture change. It was the sweetest. Yeah. But no, I've done I've done Sydney Two Day FM. I've yeah. done it. I've done that show, and it it is ruthless. Yeah. Ruthless. Yeah. How much stuff, even with I had the power of the, you know, at the time, Sanderland's production team, which is like seven people, eight yes, people, even with that, yeah, I'd still get there every morning and just go, what the, okay, three hours, here we go. 
Yeah. But I only did it for like six weeks or something like that. Um, but to do it every day, do you think that how would you have been able to do this job if you'd just gone straight into MTV and then straight to, if you had never actually produced one of these shows, how do you think you would have gone? Um, I'd still be doing it, I reckon. Um, but I have I learned as a producer, I do have a part of my brain that is a producer's brain. And I think that really helps out my team because I I just think a little differently to how a, a hyper creative person can think. Like I'm very creative, but I'm also, I can be quite practical because I know logistics mm. and I know, like I know, I just know how it's like second nature to me because I've been a producer. So I think I'd still be good, but I think that, you know, it would just, I'd probably need a little bit more like spoon feeding by my team. Whereas I'm pretty like in the studio, like, you know, sometimes I'm running that chip. <laughs> and like, I, cause I just know that shit can go down on live radio, but nobody listening ever needs to know. And so long as everyone thinks we are just having the best time and high-fiving each other and it's all shits and giggles, that's our job. And then you turn the mics off and it's mayhem. <laughs> and there's like, tears and tantrums and it's just like this interview's fallen over like what are we going to do and like nobody knows that there was an interview coming up you know like it's it is a content monster it is a hungry beast that you've got to feed but I think it I think it's just a massive asset to our team and our functionality that I have that discipline in place but that's not to say if I didn't have that that this show wouldn't be um what it is or as successful it's going as it's going to be I think it's just an added bonus for me personally I think you're underselling yourself. <laughs> I absolutely think you're underselling yourself because you have a, your ego is in a very different place coming to the mic, knowing what the people on the other side of the glass, manning the phones and putting the whiteboards together are yeah. going through every day. Your ego is in a very, very different place because at the very base of it, you know what it's like to get, well, there, to get there half an hour before you get there yeah. or an hour before you get there and prep well, everything yeah. to give to you. You yeah. know, you know what I've done it. Yeah, you have. Mm. And so, you know, when you're going through the sheets that your producers have given you, you know how much work's gone into it. So on some level, like if I was a producer, I'd be happier to work for you because you appreciate <laughs> what I've done rather than, and I've seen people just go through sheets of paper they've been given about stories that morning that people have been up since two in the goddamn morning researching going, nah, 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 just throwing them on the floor. Well, yeah, I've been that person, right? Like I've. I've been on the receiving end of that behaviour. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I'm just grateful that I have that filter and yeah. I'm so, I'm just stoked that I understand like the beast that I work in or that yeah. I'm a part of and I understand it from all assets of that. But business. also it, it, it allows you to see Keanu at the end of the Matrix style, what is possible with what you're doing. Like, you know, Okay, so this we've got two minutes fifteen left on this song, and that caller is you know on line four, and we've got seven minutes before the commercial break. Um, we're gonna have just enough time. Okay, can you get me? Blah, 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 blah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, bang, it happens. But all that happens in your brain in like four seconds. Yeah, it does because it's just natural. Yeah, and that yeah. saves your team so much time. Yeah, probably. And they can trust you because they know that if they go, they just have a shorthand that they can speak to you. Yeah. So just take it. No, just just take the compliment, it. Thank you. man. Thanks. I'm taking it. Take the compliment. I just don't think about it like that, but it's true. But it, it really is. You've had to fill in some fairly big boots during your career. Yeah. A number of times. What's that like? Um, I just don't think about it. Yeah. I honestly, just like 
Because if I do, like for Hamish and Annie, for Fifi and Jules, and, oh. and and now for the the biggest breakfast radio show, I know. Ever, it's just weird. Like sometimes I go, I think it probably dawned on me when, like when we got offered the National Drive show, and I was like, oh, that's like Hamish and Annie's old job, you know? Like that's that's a weird moment because I'm like a huge fan of their work and. I, they are the most successful radio brand this country has seen. and Ever. And the loveliest humans. And I I remember when we moved to Melbourne and we walked into Fox FM and I saw Hamish Blake. I was like, oh, God, that's Hamish. Oh, no. and You're then six I was foot like, five. I'm like, <laughs> so tall. I'm like, that's Hamish Blake. And then I'm like, I'm doing his old job. Like it was just weird. I just tried. I just was like, I can't overthink that because it, it's just too weird for me. And so I've only, I've always just gone, no matter who I was filling in for, um, well, I'm the person for the job right now and I have to have some sort of confidence in that. Otherwise, if I start emulating other people or getting uh, or, or tweaking my, like, brand or my gut feeling or, like, who I am to emulate someone else, then the whole point of being Maz Compton falls over because the whole point of being me is to just be the one and only me, Right. So I don't overthink it and I don't try and be like anyone else, but I don't openly try and not be like anyone else, you know, like I'm running, I feel like I'm running my own race. And I think not overthinking things is probably the best way to think about them in those moments because otherwise you do freak out and you do go, how has this happened? I don't understand. Like because there are days when I absolutely don't think I'm, worthy or qualified or that I deserve this or whatever it is and I've always just said you know like the universe just qualifies the calls and I'm like my so I've got this calling to be a broadcaster and a communicator and hopefully to make people better humans through my storytelling and through my story and I will get qualified on my journey and I absolutely have the qualifications to do the job that I'm doing right now that's how I look at it a lot of people don't realise that you you get qualifications as you go. That's like, you know, lashings on your back. That's really that is. is hard life shit that you go through. But it really is. Like <laughs> the idea but if you turn up the job completely qualified for the job, you're in the wrong job. Absolutely. And you, and you know, the day the day that you do sit there and go, well, and it's kind of what happened to MTV. I was mm. like, I've kind of done it all now. Yeah. And like hanging on, you don't want to be the person hanging on. Like you do not want to be that person that's no. like washed up and clingy and it's like you just, you let it go, you jump off the cliff and find your wings and fly to the next one. That's, you absolutely have to be a little bit ahead of the trend mm. that way, I think. It was actually uh, one of the guys that works at Southern Cross Stereo, the network you work for, Craig Bruce, who said, he told me in Brisbane, this was when Craig, he had, he had shoulder length hair and he was all very... You know, oh tucked God. his T-shirt into his jeans. Just it was, for those that are listening that don't know what Craig Bruce looks like, he basically looks like Bruce Willis. Now. Now. Now he looks like Bruce Willis. But at the time he had shoulder length curly hair, tucked his shirt into his T-shirt into his jeans. It was 95. He'll hate that you've said that. It's fine. <laughs> because he'll love that I always quote this next part. Okay. He turned to me and he said, if your heart doesn't race the moment you turn, just when you're just about to turn the microphone on, if your heart doesn't race, you should get out of the chair yep. and let someone else in there. I absolutely agree. And that I've followed that every single time. Yeah. That's why, you know, and, and it's absolutely true. It's absolutely true. It's but a privilege. Like I It's not you, it's not my place place to be greedy with a job. 
Yeah. If I'm not the best person for the job, I need to recognize that. Yeah. Don't let go. Like, it's not for me. It's yeah. for someone else. It really it's is. It's true. I remember um, like growing up on the Northern Beaches, I used to listen to like it was Wendy Harmer and Peter Moon mm. on Today FM. I woke up to that. That is what got me out of bed and got me to, to school in the morning. And I now look back and I'm like, I'm sitting in that chair. Mm. That is wild to think that teenage girls are waking up and listening to my voice and following my story and working out how I've done this. I'm like, that is so powerful and such an honour to be able to sit in that chair and open those microphones and have the ear of a city. Like that is just, that's, you know, the biggest compliment you could ever have. That really people is. actually give two shits. <laughs> we are starting to get into your late night, so I'll, 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 I'll get to it. I could talk like literally for hours. Yes, so, but like, I, you're going to have to wrap I'm this up aware that you're going to have to get to bed soon because you have to get up in not a lot of time because uh, it's now four in the afternoon. So I'll, I'll I'm just a, I'm going to take 10, ten more minutes. So okay. how has the job of and you're in a best the best place to answer this question. How has the job of being a breakfast radio announcer changed since you first saw someone do the job? Oh, my God. It's like a different job. When I was a producer on the breakfast show, I don't even think there was the internet on every computer at Nova. And the phone system was an actual handset that you, you'd you answer and then you'd have like tw- 12 phone lines that you put on hold and patch people through and... Um, and so the breakfast show and the role of announcer, well, especially for American Rosso, it was a lot of comedy sketches. It was a lot of serial stuff. It was a lot of writing. And then it was what's on the front page of the Daily Telegraph, how we're reflecting that, what's happening in Sydney Confidential, how we're doing that, and, and lining up um, mainly live guests and stuff like that. That was, you know, what it was. Now Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, um, Facebook status updates, opinion polls, um, people calling in live from overseas, people listening in Canada, writing messages to us on like our Instagram posts. Like it's it's a completely different job. So much video. And too. it's and it's all content as well. So everything, you know, people I think back in the day they were like, well, breakfast radio announcers must just wear tracksuit pants and not give a crap about how they look. And I'm like, yeah, they actually legit do, because I remember seeing that. Um, but I am filmed every single morning. Like I'm, I, like everything is, it's all like, it's all there. It's all for everyone to watch and judge. So it's, it's a completely different beast and it's so much more fast paced because now we're in this generation where there can be a news headline at seven and it's a different headline at eight because we get information from everywhere all over the world. And, you know, like it, we have to, if anything, like streamline our processes in finding out what's important to our audience right now, what's the information they need and what's our unique take on the biggest story of the day. That's how we do it. But that can change like so much. And you sometimes throw an entire show out the window because something's happened that's really relevant and big news. And you and it's happened, you know, in the Ukraine and you found out about it by some random person tweeting you. You know, it's so different. And during um, the show... Um, Dan and I, we have laptops in front of us and we're just on our social media just monitoring, watching, reading tweets so people can engage and be our friend in any way, shape or form. Like we're so accessible and that's different as well because back in the day the only way to contact a radio show was to call 
And I used to always have people call up going, hey, can you just tell Mary that that was really funny? I'm like, sure, mate, no worries. Like cute feedback. Or there was like breakfast at nova969.com.au was like a generic email address. But now like people can send me a direct message on Twitter if I'm following them or can write on my personal Instagram page, hey, like where'd you get your tracksuit pants? They're awesome. Not that I wear tracksuit pants. Um, but, yeah, it's, we're so accessible and we're so exposed and so vulnerable and you cannot change that. That's the world now. So I would say it is pretty much just a completely different job that at the time of me doing like the radio show that I did, I'm glad I'm not doing it that way because, you know, back in the day that's tough. Now we're like, well, we've got too much content. Like there's there's too many channels. We've got too many social media streams, you know, like like we did a periscope of the storm the other morning. It's like it, it's always evolving and it's so fast. And back in the day I'm like, imagine not being able to have instant access, instant feedback and instant interaction with people that care about your show. So it's I think it's more invigorating if anything now. And so where's it going? Do you know what? I don't know how long like radio Radio as just a medium by itself doesn't really exist anymore. I think people now, if they're going to find out about the Dan and Maz show, are going to hear a podcast or they're going um, to see a tweet or they're going to see a hashtag that's trending that we've started and that, and that will seed them into our radio brand. But they will probably see a video of us first, an Instagram post or a tweet before they get to the content that we do that comes out of our mouths. That is scary, but then it's also perfect because my background is as a VJ and being on TV. So I'm I'm super used to that and I understand how that all works. So now it's just, it's all about content in general. And I think that that's, you know, I think that's media in general. That's the way it's going. It's it's all about socials. It's all, like Snapchat is insane. And at first I was like, why would you create something that vanishes like why would you do that and now I'm like oh my god it's actually amazing people come on a journey with us and then they're a part of that journey and then it doesn't exist anymore it's kind of like the radio show but in video format <laughs> you know and I think you're I think you're right. I mean we're sitting here you know with two microphones and a $400 recorder yeah making broadcast quality content yeah it's all content yeah that is that is the future and how people find out about it that's the and that's the thing, like people, you know, I think breakfast radio probably is, you know, the battle of um, the car ride to work, absolutely. But as far as a brand, you know, we're not just a breakfast show at all. Like we're, we're a place for people to be entertained. And like like I said, we literally have people streaming our show from Canada. It's, it's hilarious. I'm like, that is so bizarre. But they're like, we just think that your show is really funny. Because you're doing drive over. And we, yeah, exactly. Because it's your <laughs> afternoon and you think that we're nuts. Yeah. But yeah, it, it is, it's all content, absolutely. And that it that is not going to change now. Now it's just about streamlining it or the next, you know, the next platform that gets created that we need to get on top. And at some at some point, you know, everyone's parents are on Facebook, so Facebook's just not cool over. anymore. So yeah, let's yeah. get on Instagram. You know, like we that's the world that we live in right now. You've Created an incredible, <laughs> incredible life for yourself. It's pretty nuts. You really have. And it's pretty insane. You really are a testament for, I mean, you've worked super hard yeah. to be there and to be ready for when that door opens. 
You yeah. really have. You're you're the living example of that, without Thanks. a shadow of a doubt. You've these opportunities have turned up, and you've been the right person for the job at every time because you worked your balls off to get there. Yeah. And now you're doing it. Now I'm doing it. And now I, I couldn't be happier that it's you that's Thanks. in the chair hosting this phase of radio that. I mean, we're only going to need, you know, mobile speeds to increase just a little bit more until we're listening live, live, live video, Yeah. you know, and then radio itself just kind of vanishes but is still in the way just kind of like floating around in the matrix because yeah. we're still creating content. Yeah. It's, it's this really interesting time. Two or three weeks ago, last question, two or three weeks ago, I had a guy on this show, John Ferreter. He's the... Um, uh, was the former head, senior vice president of Nonscripted at William Morris. He's the guy that packaged pop stars. He's oh, wow. Like Ryan Seacrest, Dick Clark, Larry King, Carson Daly. He represented every one of them. But his line was, when you find your dream job, dream bigger. Yeah. So what's the bigger dream? Oh, hmm. um, there's a couple. Like I'm actually, there's a few little, there's a few bigger dreams. Um. I absolutely think it would be a disservice if I didn't have a talk show where um, women could be empowered because that's, you know, something that I'm so passionate about and I am a part of that society and I feel like um, I've got a bit more growing up to do before I get to a place where I'd be comfortable having that weight on my shoulders. But I, I absolutely feel like a talk show um, in some capacity would be um, the next step. And then I'm like, do you know what? Do I just semi-retire and go and live in Thailand and, like, run boot camp because I'm doing, like, a year of Fitzbo? So I don't actually, like, there are there are definitely a few bigger dreams at play. But for now, um, this is not a small job and this is a long play. And so I I have a job to do and, I'm, and I've always... I've always been a bit like, you know, you dress for your next job, but you absolutely have to do the job at hand and nail it before the, the next door opens. And so for, for right now, this is like a long play and I won't um, stop doing this show until it's the most successful show that it, that I could possibly put out of the speakers every single day and the most people possible are listening to it. And when we get to that point, then then it might be time to hang up the mic. But that's a long way away. Like I'm here for a long time. I think I want to produce your talk show. <laughs> I will happily let you produce my talk show because it will. I know it will happen but I feel like it's a few years away. I'll focus on. Not if I've got anything to do with it. <laughs> yeah, You're an absolute gem. Thank you so much. Thank you. And I thank you so much because like – I've from afar um, watched your career and been in awe of you. Um, not so much, I, I would just say as a human being and it's so nice to actually sit down with somebody that gets that it's not weird to talk about spirituality and it's no accident that people that work their asses off that have epic stories end up in the limelight and it's actually really nice to be able to tell that side of my story as opposed to who's the most famous person you've interviewed, you know, because now it's Osha. <laughs> Obviously. I'm going to take your photo, all right? Yeah. <laughs> cool. Thank you. And that, my friends, was Maz Compton. Let her know you heard her here. If there was anything that you heard that resonates with you, just let her know at M-A-Z, sorry, M-A-Z-C-O-M-P-T-O-N, like straight out of Compton. 
Maz Compton. You can find her on Twitter. Let her know. And you can listen to her show that she does every day of the week from anywhere in the world at twodayfm.com.au, the number 2dayfm.com.au. Or just search for the podcast. Uh, it's called Dan and Maz, D-A-N and M-A-Z, Z, <laughs> the podcasting platform of your choice. Um, so thank you so much for being here. The thing that makes me so happy about this show is that each week I get more and more emails, tweets and Facebook messages from people that have resonated with what happens on this show, the guests that I have, the conversations we have, and people that have taken action and made a change in their lives, be it around their work, around their health, their relationships, even the way they look at climate change, even the way they think about climate change. When I get those messages, when I get those emails, it just thrills me. So without you, I couldn't make this show. So thank you for getting me through such a tough week. I'm really, really, really grateful for you. So I'll see you next week. Um, until then, be kind, sleep well, and dream of beautiful things. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.